Let us begin. I'll open up with a word of prayer and then we'll get going. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day that we can gather as your people. Uh, We thank you most of all for the privilege of being called by your name, being reconciled to the Father through Christ the Son uh, as the Spirit has applied that work of redemption to us individually. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can set apart to think about how we are parenting, how we are raising this generation of children, Lord, not just to be functional citizens in a society, but uh, to be followers of Christ. Lord, give us grace in this, even as we uh, think about it and reflect upon our own parenting, and help us to, to grow and to be, to be more godly, Christ-like followers of, of Jesus as we parent. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as you can see, we are we're in our last week here of our parenting class, so if you don't have it all figured out by the end of today, then you're, you're hopeless. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> but really quick, can anybody... I don't think there was actually like a technically a main thesis or a main point of, of last week, but there was a primary topic that he was discussing. Can anyone refresh our memories about what is, uh, what was he following on this week from last week? Anyone remember general content of, of what was kind of primary? Still working on shaping character. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked about the three uh, windows of relationship. Transparency, correction, protective. Yeah. So he talks about three different uh, ways that you might be relating to your teenager. Uh, one of them is, is good, it's preventative, they're listening to you, and then uh, on the other far side, it's cor- corrected, or what was the last one? Protective. Okay, protective, that's what it was. Uh, where you're just guarding them from destroying themselves, uh, and you're trying to put up walls around them all the time because they will destroy themselves if you don't physically prevent them from doing so. Um, he talked about another, another thing that was uh, pretty significant in the lesson was the idea of decisions... And consequences. And, and this idea that as your child grows, you need to progressively give them more and more opportunity to make decisions. Uh, and you also will at times need to let them experience the consequences of those decisions. Uh, and you can't always guard them. And you have to be wise in how you do that, but knowing what, what consequences you can responsibly let them experience for poor decisions. But so, so I think he spent a lot of time speaking about them, about that idea, and doing that well. So this week, this is the opening discussion question. Trip gave us nothing to work with. <laughs> uh, apparently, he he didn't think it was necessary. I don't think it's necessary either. So uh, we'll just go right into the lecture. How about a tendency toward legalism? I don't mean that teenagers love God's law. I mean they tend to be Philadelphia lawyers. They tend to be very oriented to boundaries. They want to know where the boundaries are. They tend to debate your vocabulary. Have you had that happen? No, Mom, that's not exactly what you said. What you said was, if your child is debating vocabulary, it's not because they love God's law. It's because they're trying to find a place to get through it. 
They want to slip between your words. Now think about what's going on there. If, let me give you a physical picture. Let's just say you have a yard. Inside of that yard are all the good, true, and beautiful things a human being should want. There's a chain link fence and outside of that yard is danger. Are you with me, the picture? And you have a teenager who's pressing his face against the fence so much that he's got fence marks in his face. Now, what is that teenager believing? Can you tell me? You can talk. What's he believing? That the good stuff is out there. You would be shocked to know how many teenagers actually feel disadvantaged because they live in a family of faith. Because they think the very nature of being there will keep them from the good stuff. Now that means the issue isn't just a rebellion to authority, the issue is the belief of a lie. And I think we are very skilled at responding to issues of falsehood with responses of authority. We just crank up the authority. So watch. What if I make the fence five fences thick? Have I solved the problem? What if I make the fence 20 feet high? Have I solved the problem? Listen, if your teenager believes the good stuff is out there, he's going. And you won't be smart enough to make him a prisoner. Trust me. I had a father who had a teenage son who just believed that. And so they did something that's pretty shocking. They would lock him in his room every night at 9 o'clock. That's responding using an authority response to a falsehood issue. He sat there one night and realized, because he looked at the back of his door so much, that if he popped off... Uh, the trim, the pins of the door would be exposed. And so over the next couple days, he snuck into his room the requisite tools, eased the molding around the door off, and in the middle of the night, he popped the pins off the door and took off the door. Also, he took off the lock set, but he wasn't done. He took off every handle and every lock set of every door in the entire house, very quietly in the middle of the night. Put them in a plastic bag, put the plastic bag in a box, took the box down the street to an empty field, dug a hole, buried them, and went back to bed. <laughs> His dad woke up in the morning. He almost fell through the door, went for the bathroom. Even the front and back door had no handles on it. Now, what does that demonstrate? You haven't dealt with the issue. This child is believing something that's dangerous. You got to get at the belief system. And you have opportunities to do that. What you need to do is turn your teenager again and again to the middle of the yard and show how God's way is gorgeous, it's beautiful. Wouldn't you like to live in a place where there is no stealing, there was no lying, there was no adultery, there was no danger, there was no racism, there were no ugly words said. Everybody was peaceful, gentle, kind, loving, patient. Wouldn't that be beautiful? That's the world God chose for us. 
If you're having an anniversary, mom and dad, don't just celebrate the glory of your love. Talk about God. Talk about the fact without God's wisdom and God's grace, you couldn't have possibly lived with one another. I'm serious. Celebrate God. Celebrate the beauty of a long-term marriage. What it's like to live with somebody that you know this well, that you love this much. Again and again and again, point yourself, your child, your teenage boy or girl to the beauty of God's way. Counteract that lie that they're so tempted to believe. Third, teens tend to be unwise in the choice of companions. A lot said about this in Proverbs. You know, in the early days, you're the gatekeeper. No one enters the life of your child that you haven't improved. But there comes a day when with a larger, let's say high school, the child working a job, their ability to drive, uh, they now acquire friends that you don't know. That's a very significant thing. And in some way, those relationships will always be influential. What are you going to do about that? Well, you don't want to give in to parental fear and say and do things that drive that under the table. You don't want to say to your child, you know, only a loser hangs around with losers. That's probably not going to open up the conversation. I want to suggest something to you that I think can be very powerful. Make your home the most hospitable place in your community. Get a widescreen television with a Wii system. It's a good investment. Have plenty of snacks. Have plenty of things to drink. Have an open door policy. Moms, hear me. Don't worry about the couch. Don't worry about the carpet. If your carpet gets stained, those are glorious, redemptive stains. Praise praise Jesus for the stains. If your couch gets broken, you can buy a new couch, but you cannot replace the soul of your teenager. I think there are times in our desire to have a beautiful surrounding to live in, we actually treat physical furniture as being more important than our own children. I can tell you for sure, If you make your home a hospitable place, it'll get damaged. Have the right sense of values. You can patch the hole in the sheetrock. And you can praise God that when that little skirmish took place, you were there and you were able to enter in and you were able to impart wisdom at that moment. And you're patching that and you're sort of smiling because you remember the good thing that happened as the result of that. Whole different way of living. One of the best investments Lowell and I made, we had boys who were very avid and skilled skateboarders, was to build a half pipe in our backyard. It was ugly. Our entire yard was wood. You could barely get around the sides of this thing. Our neighbors were terrified. And so we told them boys would never skate before 10 o'clock in the morning and they would never skate after 8 o'clock at night. But that brought 
that world to our door. And because it was dangerous, the boys couldn't skate until their parents had seen the ramp and signed an insurance release form. So we met all the families. It was wonderful. Uh, we spent as much time out there with the guys and there were so many times when I could enter into relational things that were going on. Uh, on a Saturday, we'd go out and we'd buy 15 pounds of hamburger and we'd just make hamburgers all, all morning and at noon, we'd just bring out trays of hamburgers and give these to these boys. They loved being at our place. And the amount of things that we preserved our boys from and the amount of things that we were able to be involved in because we were willing to use, lose our yard for something more important just cannot be estimated. I have this experience. It's a beautiful experience. It happens to me once in a while. I live right down in Center City, Philadelphia, and I walk a lot down there. And I'll, I'll be walking down the street, and now a grown man will call my name. I'll hear, Mr. Tripp, Mr. Tripp. The last time it happened, it was a guy in a suit and a briefcase. And he came, he came over to me, he dropped his briefcase, he threw his arms around me, he says, my name's Hector, I skated on your ramp. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did for us. I'm weeping. Such a little easy decision. When they left the home, we tore down the ramp, put in a beauty, beautiful English cobblestone patio, and praise God for his existence. <laughs> but we love that ramp. And our, our kids still talk about that. They still love to look at the pictures. And when they do, they just tell stories. Uh, make yourself part of this thing. Make your place a hospitable, wonderful place to be. Fourth thing, teens are particularly susceptible to sexual temptation. We all know that sometime between uh, 10 and 20 whatever, there's massive social and physical development. You put an eight-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl in t-shirt and jeans, they look pretty much alike. You put a 17-year-old boy and a 17-year-old girl in t-shirt and jeans, they don't look at all alike. And that development is not an evil thing, it's part of God's design, but it's a dangerous thing in a fallen world. An eight-year-old boy will be convinced that girls have cooties. They don't know what they are, but they don't want them. A 17-year-old boy magically becomes a cootie consumer. <laughs> he doesn't know what they are, but he's strangely attracted to them. Now, I want you to hear what I'm going to say. All this is happening for us in a world that's gone sexually insane. Brothers and sisters, there's no more sanity out there. It's nuts. It's craziness. You can barely listen to a CD. You can barely watch a DVD, read a magazine, go to a mall without somehow having your morals assaulted. We are so obsessed with sexuality that we are taking knives to the chests of our daughters and putting plasticine substances inside of them so they have a stronger sexual self. 
You would be shocked if you read the figures of the amount of breast augmentations happen every year in Western culture. We're crazy. Those cultures that stretch the neck in Africa or pull down the ears or Asian cultures that bound the feet, they say small, we would call primitive. We're just as primitive. We obsess over the shape of a nose or the size of an ear. We're nuts. We're crazy. We're obsessed. Our daughters are starving themselves to death. It's no longer sexual issues alone. It's now a fundamental redefinition of human identity. Human identity is more about appearance than character. That's craziness. And don't think you'll protect your boys and girls from it. You won't. There's never been a culture where young girls are more fearful of the shape of their body and the shape of their face than ever before. There's no culture of young men who have been taught to objectify women as objects of pleasure than our culture has. There are masses of teenage boys who are already addicted to internet pornography. I hear the stories again and again and again. Meanwhile, the family and the church is sitting strangely silent. The world's talking constantly and we sit in embarrassment and silence. Listen, sex was created by our God. This is our stuff. We get what it's about. We get what it's for. We should be the ones who are talking. We've given it away. Couple examples that are, that are just everyday examples. I was, I was in Old Navy. Now you know this is not a radical store. I was with my 13-year-old son buying him a pair of khakis. And I looked across the aisle and there was a rack for little girls, five, six, so you know the size of the girl. And it was a micro mini skirt and a halter top. I was immediately enraged. How can you put a little girl in that outfit and ever expect that she's going to have a sense of self? You're telling her, be an object because that's what you were made for. I wanted to rip down the rack. Fortunately, I had a third-year-old boy with me who kept saying, Dad, you're not going to do something, are you? And he helped me to be sane. My daughter got an unexpected gift in the mail one Christmas. Tore open the box, given to her by a girlfriend at her Christian school. And when she opened it up, it was one of those weird back-of-a-magazine breast development kits. And she said, Dad, isn't this weird? My friend wanted to get me something for Christmas, and all she could think of was, poor Nicole, her breasts are too small. 
there are girls represented by this family that are already in the process of giving away their bodies. There are girls that are much more focused on physical appearance than they are the character of their hearts. There are girls who don't know how to hold out to be respected for their mind and their heart, not just the shape of their body, the size of their nose, and the color of their hair. Are you listening to me? Our boys and girls need us. They need us. Dads, look at me. Your boys need you. And they don't need you to have one creepy, quasi-embarrassed conversation about sex that you're never going to have again. They need you to be humble and loving and patient to open up the topic and keep it open because the temptations of a 13-year-old boy are different from the temptations of a 15-year-old boy, are different from the temptations of a 17-year-old boy, are different than the temptations of a 19-year-old boy. We need to have an open conversation. We need to talk Forget your own embarrassment. Forget your own comfort. Get out there and help your boys. Moms, your girls need you. They need you not just to teach them how to wear makeup, but teach them what it means to be respected for what's inside of me, not just outside of me, and the dramatic moral importance of saying no. If that's what it takes to get your acceptance, I won't do it. We are losing the battle. You need to stand up and say, you will not consume this trash. If your children, if your teenagers got their enjoyment the last several months of watching Jersey Shore, you familiar with what I'm talking about? You have failed your children. Because it's seductive, immoral trash that should never be consumed. Now, I've spoken pretty straight with you, haven't I? My purpose is not to beat you up. I have an enormous respect for your struggle. But I am very concerned that we're silent while the world is screaming, 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 and we're losing the battle. We will not lose this battle. We will not lose this battle. We will stand up and we will take back what belongs to our God. Do that for your kids. Fifth thing, your teens tend to lack eschatological perspective. (laughs) Just a fun way of saying they don't tend to look at the long view of things. Teens tend to live in a bubble, and it is now. And so there's two mentalities that you want to impart to your your teenager. First is a harvest mentality. God says, the Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever you plant, you will harvest. And so the teenagers need to know, every day I'm planting seeds that I will someday harvest, and every day I'm harvesting seeds that I previously planted. It's your job to make that seed plant connection for them. Now, the reason that's important is teenagers are very good at denying their own harvest. You got to hear this story. My daughter comes home one day, and she says, Dad, 
I got to talk to you about my report card. You know right away that's bad news. If it needs a preamble, it's bad news. So I said, well, talk. She says, I got a D in English, happens to be the language that she speaks. (sighs) But I want you to know I got the highest D in class. Don't you love it? And she says, I know why. It's this teacher. He's learning to teach on us. The, The smart kids barely got B's and C's. I'm thinking, isn't this wonderful? Under the weight of this man's teaching and ability, my daughter got the highest D in class. We had to post it on the refrigerator. We had to call grandma. We had to go out to eat in celebration. As she's standing there talking to me, I realize she's not just pulling the wool over my eyes. She believes it. Somewhere between when that report card was given and she got it home, she was able to convince herself that it had nothing to do with her. Your job is to make those seed plant connections for your teenager. You do that patiently. You do that lovingly. You do that with grace, but you must do that. Second uh, mentality is a treasure mentality. My teenager needs to know that everywhere he goes, everything he does, somehow, some way, <coughs> is related to the treasures of his heart. You are always naming something as your treasure. You are always naming things as important. That means you have values. Let me say it this way. Your teenager's behavior in any situation is his attempt to get what's important to to him out of it. And so you need to have treasure conversations. You need to to ask the question, what are you investing in? And what is the return going to be? What are you investing in? What is the return going to be? The purpose of those conversations is not accusation. The purpose of those conversations is insight. Uh, Harvest and treasure, two very, very important mentalities for a teenager. And the last one. (coughs) is really the summary of everything I've said to you. Teenagers tend to lack heart awareness. They not only tend to be blind, they tend to be blind to their blindness. And so you are still doing what we talked about in the beginning. You're working any way you can to be an instrument of seeing You're asking the question again and again. Let me give it to you. What is it that God wants this teenager to see right now and how can I help him see it? What is it that God wants this teenager to see right now and how can I help him see it? Now I want you to do something with me because I want to talk to you personally. I want you to close your notes, put down your pencils, I want to say a couple things to you here at the end. Maybe some of you right now are just overwhelmed. You're just thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to remember all this stuff. I'm going to be hurting my children. Well, hear this. God is not so unkind as to ever give you a task without giving you the wherewithal to do it. 
If God puts a Red Sea in front of you and he means for you to cross it, he's gonna build a bridge, he's gonna send a boat, he's gonna give you the ability to swim or he's gonna part the waters. Don't give in to fear. Step forward in faith, believing God will give you what you need to do what he's called for you to do. Some of you are now filled with regret. You thought, if if I'd only heard this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, there's a couple things I can say. Always trust God's timing. God's timing's always right. You're here this weekend because he knows it's the right time for you to hear and to understand. There's a second thing. We really do believe that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of fresh starts and new beginnings. That God will restore that which the locusts have eaten. You can have fresh starts. Some of you need to go to your kids and say, we did it the wrong way. And I'd like to start anew with you. There's some things I'd li- I need to confess to you. Wouldn't you like to work with me to do this thing that we do together in a better way? Let me summarize what this day is about with this physical, visual picture. God is in the grace, the business of painting his grace on the canvas of human souls. There'll be a day when that entire canvas is assembled of souls of every culture, every language group, every location on the globe, every ethnic group, men, women, boys and girls from every period of history. When we see the canvas of the glory of God's grace, we won't be able to do anything but worship. Now hear what I'm about to say. You're God's brushes. God would wipe you, mom, across the palette of his grace and through you paint his transforming grace on the heart of your children. God would pick you up, dad, and wipe you across the palette of his grace and through you paint his grace on the canvas of the hearts of your children. Here's the single issue of this weekend. Check it out. Are you a soft brush in his redemptive hands? Have you ever tried to paint with a hard brush that wasn't taken care of? It doesn't pick up the paint very well and it scratches the very surface it was meant to make beautiful. I have to say this. There are hard brush dads in this room. You had hard brush moments this week and your bristles need to be softened by that very same grace so that you'd be a more effective carrier of that grace to the hearts of your children. Dads, look at me. Where do your bristles need to be softened? There are hard brush moms in this room. You had hard brush moments this week. And your bristles need to be softened by that very same grace so you can effectively carry that grace to the hearts of your children. Moms, look at me. Where do your bristles need to be softened? The Bible says in that final day as we're (coughs) celebrating in worship so loudly that we're literally screaming in worship like the cracks of thunder, like the sound of mighty Russian rapids where you can't hear yourself think. A voice will speak 
And they will say, well done, good and faithful servants. You ready for this? God will thank his brushes. <coughs> Monet never did that. Rembrandt never did that. Picasso never did that. But God did that. Oh, that we would be soft brushes in his redemptive hands so that that grace will be carried in ways that transform the hearts of our children. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty, clarity, practicality of your word. We would say to you that we love you, but our greatest, fullest joy in life is that we've been loved by you. May we be by that love and by that grace, soft brushes in your transforming and redemptive hands. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.